I'm, I'm grateful to have this opportunity to speak to you. Um, tonight, what I want to do is a little different um, than typically what's done up here. Um, for the first portion, I would like to uh, talk about this, this whole thing uh, is about creation versus evolution. So for the first portion of this, um, I would like to discuss certain, certain facts and certain uh, evidences. So it won't be as scripture-based for the first part. But for the second part, I would like to take a much more scriptural approach uh, on creation. So first, for our discussion tonight, I want to define what evolution is. Evolution, in its most basic sense, uh, is a process, I'll just read it, (laughs) process by which living organisms are thought to have developed and diversified from earlier forms during the history of Earth. In science, it's further divided into two subcategories. Microevolution, which is defined as changes within a species, normally over a short time. This is also known as adaptation. And macroevolution. This is major changes over longer periods of time. Uh, For the sake of our discussion tonight, I won't really address microevolution since it's pretty evident and observable that creatures adjust to whatever habitat they're in. So I believe firmly that God has made this for animals to survive situations. So for our context tonight, we'll be discussing macroevolution. This is things like uh, the, the creatures you see, pictures of, drawn typically, of uh, something that looks kind of like a fish, but kind of like a reptile. Things that take millions of years. That's the basis of our discussion tonight, is macroevolution, and the, the discrepancy of time, specifically. Creation believes, some believe 6,000, some believe 10,000. I'm not really discussing that, but a much shorter period than what science would say is 4.2 billion years, give or take a few million. So, first of all, I want to discuss different aspects of it. The fossil record and rock formation. So this is bone of animals that have long since died and have turned to rock over time or mineral if it's uh, not uh, a creature. And so, when you look at that, you, I want to see what science says. Well, science will tell you fossils take thousands of years to form. Uh, this, this record is, it can't, means that they can't be in the same time period because one's on one rock layer, which took a million years to form, and the other one's on another one, which took two million years to form. That means they're a million years separated. So, when we look at that, we, it makes us think, okay, well, how could, how could you dispute that? Then, discussing formation of rocks. This is stalactites and stalagmites, the the big pointy things in caves. You never know which is which. So, science says, typically, uh, it grows about less than 10 centimeters every 1,000 years. That's not very much. We'll see how that may differ. It explains mass extinction events. Mass extinction events are defined as uh, when 90% of a population species has uh, died off in one catastrophic event. The scientists estimate there's been about five uh, so far, and they say we're heading to another one. But uh, we'll see how that may differ. Finally, uh, it explains the evolution of man. Everybody's seen the picture of the monkey, 
that slowly starts standing up and eventually starts standing up, looks like a caveman and automatically a human. That kind of sums up uh, the, the whole picture of evolution, of how we got here. So, let's look at what the evidence says. I'll, I'll quickly discuss this and then show more uh, concrete uh, examples. So, many fossils uh, can form quickly under the right conditions. Uh, that will be evident in the next few slides. So, it may not take as long as many thought to form these, these uh, impressions left of where these creatures used to be. Uh, there's some examples in the, in the Grand Canyon where they have found tracks of animals in a lower rock level than others. And according to science, that would take millions of years for that creature to move up to one rock level to the other. If you believe another thing, some suggest the flood caused the creatures to run, forming their footprints there, and then catching them later as they were buried. Cave formations. They can form quickly under the right conditions, and I'll I'll show you that in the next few slides. Cultures all over the world talking about this great flood. Uh, They may not believe in the Bible, but I found in China, in Native American culture, in Indian culture, and uh, African culture all have similar great flood stories. They don't all line up exactly, but... Every single one has a great flood that covered the whole earth. So while this may not be as concrete, it indicates some sort of uh, credibility to the fact that there may have been something that happened then. And finally, scientists don't say when they made approximations always. Full fossils are not always recovered from these dig sites. So when discussing man uh, and the evolution of man, some approximations are made. So let's look at these. Sorry for the poor quick picture quality, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. So fossils and petrification. Uh, this teddy bear, uh, I saw a record that said three months or five months. Uh, it, was, it was put under a waterfall for five months uh, to three months and completely petrified. So it's just completely stoned now. So that says a little different than a fossil forming over millions of years. You see... Next to it is a cowboy boot. It was uh, in 1800 is when it was manufactured. And as you can see there, there is a cowboy leg still inside. And it's completely stone. So it indicates over a little over 200 years, fossilization can occur. So cave formation, next one. Uh, Cave formation, uh, you can see on the left, is a stalagmite with a bat inside. This was taken uh, from National, Graphic, uh, National Geographic in 1953. It shows that clearly that there is a bat stuck in this formation. Uh, I doubt it would take a thousand years for that bat to stay there and get covered. The other picture is a, a stalactite taken under the Lincoln Memorial. This picture was taken 45 years after the Lincoln Memorial was completed. Some of the stalactites are roughly five feet. I'm not great at the conversion between centimeters and feet, but five feet in 45 years sounds a lot quicker than 10 centimeters in 1,000 years. So next is apes and humans. This is a picture of uh, Lucy. It's the oldest known uh, 
ape, but also human. It's the first linkage that they, they think they have. What they don't know or haven't said often is that they only recovered 40% of the skeleton. As you can see in the blue, that is what is approximated of the skull and bone. And on the other side is what is actually retrieved so far. Many, uh, although humans are good for fossilization, we have burial processes that tend to lead not to fossilization. So many fossils are damaged or destroyed before they can be uh, fossilized completely. So as you can see here, it may not take near as long as science says to do any of these things, to form fossils, to uh, have cave formations, to... um, can't remember the other one. (laughs) Uh, To, uh, yeah, cave formations and human behavior. So, let's discuss the next one. Uh, Symbiotic relationships. This is live animals. Uh, Not old, dusty dusty rocks, but live animals we can see today. Um, and, And how their behavior is contrary to what evolution says. So, it's defined as a relationship between two individuals that are uh, different species. It's defined into four relationships. Uh, Beneficial, which means both are benefited. Uh, Parasitic, which means one benefits while the other is harmed. Altruistic, which means one sacrifices for the other. And spite, where both are harmed in the interaction. What I want to focus on is spite and altruism. The, the idea of survival of the fittest is uh, the, the key piece to evolution. If an animal is fit for its condition, it will survive. If it is not fit, it will die. So altruistic behavior shows a, a, a self-sacrifice in animals that aren't even necessarily related by blood, uh, genetically speaking. Spite, you're actively hurting another animal and you're not getting any benefit. That is not in the spirit of survival of the fittest. I'll show you examples on the next slide, but discussing some animals are dependent on each other. They would not live without each other. Uh, I, I actually, my, one of my professors, we were talking about this in one of our classes, and he was talking about evolution of trees and how at some point trees became independently uh, certain trees became independently dependent on algae itself. And I asked, I asked the professor, because I figured the best way to confront evolution is to ask questions they can't answer. And I asked him, how can a tree out of the water form a dependency on something that only existed in the water at the time frame? He said, that's a great question. I'll answer you in a week. Never got back to me. <laughs> so, when, when discussing this, it's, it's important not to attack scientists or whoever believes in this, this evolution. It is important to ask questions and open a discussion. It leads to much more beneficial interactions, is, is what I've seen. So, not all relationships benefit either, back to spite. And even in the ones that are beneficial for both, the animals are millions of years apart. So let's look at a few examples. First, the badger. The badgers live in a uh, 
it's some sort of, if not necessarily family unit, but many different badgers from different areas will come together and cooperate to hunt better and uh, do everything in a family style, even though they're not related. If one badger will get sick, it will walk away from the rest of the animals, even though they're not related to it, so it doesn't spread the infection. That is very against the idea of survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest would say that creature should stay where it's at. The infected creature would stay with the, the, the pack as long as it can until, it, until the pack leaves it. But in a self-sacrifice, it leaves the pack and goes against survival of the fittest. Next is the goby and the blind shrimp. That's a, an example of a beneficial uh, interaction where both are benefited. The, the goby can't, that's the fish, obviously, cli- uh, crawls around and watches for predators. It can't build its own home. The, cra- uh, the shrimp, I should say, has claws very useful for digging the hole. So it will dig a home for the, an- uh, for the goby. The problem with this is fish first evolved, according to this uh, theory of evolution, 530 million years ago. The blind shrimp evolved, supposedly evolved, 500 million years ago. That's 30 million years where the species shouldn't have existed together. So predators should have taken out the goby before the shrimp came along or vice versa. So that goes against the idea of survival of the fittest is one cannot survive without the other. The odds of it working is so infinitesimally small, it's not even registered. Next, I'm not going to say that name because I don't understand it, but it's an example, it's, this bird is an example of spite. When it's young or harmed or attacked, it will go and attack other young of other species, leaving its own young by themselves while it attacks for no reason. It's an example of spite where it is using resources to attack others while leaving its own young undefended. So let's look at information. When we look for human life or specifically alien life from another planet, we look for a message. The message has to signify intelligence. It has to fall under four criteria. It has to be a pattern. It can't just be random, uh, nothing to it. It has to contain information. If a, information or if a message has pattern but no information, it's useless. If it can be read is the next important step. So if there is information but you can't access that information, it's no good to you still. And finally, it has to be able to be replicated. So we have to be able to recreate it in some way. So all four of these criteria indicate a message has intelligence behind it. So, let's look at ourselves. DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. Big word just means building blocks of life. It has a pattern. There are four building blocks that make up DNA and what it is. Uh, The T and the A only bind to each other. The G and the C only bind to each other each other, and there is no instances where that is not the case. In the human, uh, human genome, basically what our, uh, what our DNA is in our entire collection is about 
2.3 billion base pairs long. That means a bunch of those letters strung together to you can't understand what it is typically. But these letters strung together contain our genetic information, contains things like our eye color, our muscle tone, height, many things about ourselves, in fact, all that we are, comes from these, uh, this bit of information. It can be read. Our bodies read that DNA and use it to produce uh, vital things that we need within our body, such as proteins. It can also be read by computers. What I do in my lab is look at uh, data of DNA and register if it's usable or not. And I have to read it to do that. I also have to replicate it. Our bodies do a beautiful job of that on its own. Whenever a new cell is, is created from an old cell, the DNA is replicated from whatever it can use to make the new cell. So, if we look at our own definition of what is intelligence or what message has intelligence, our own building blocks indicate there is intelligence behind it. Indicate there is a God, to me at least. That our own uh, test for intelligence shows that we ourselves are designed. So, I don't want to bore you with the numbers. I'm just going to touch a couple. Drake's equation is an equation that is, uh, is used and recently formulated in the past uh, couple years to estimate uh, life. So it it it's, takes into many factors into account uh, and wants to know if, how many, like what are the odds of planets that can support life like Earth? What are the odds that Earth has life? So you look at these two. The uh, the Equation alone suggests that the odds of one species, a singular species, rising on Earth by itself through evolution, would be 1 in 60 billion. The odds of another planet even being able to support life is even higher. That's 17 trillion. To give you a little perspective, that's a 1 followed by 12 zeros. It's a pretty big number. It has been criticized that this equation is too liberal in many of its... uh, Numbers. So if you took a conservative stance on the, the formula, the numbers would get much higher even than this. So the odds are so low that even one species would rise on Earth, some people wouldn't, and science would not even count that. So we've looked at the scientific side of things. Now I want to take a, a more biblical approach to uh, evolution, where we came from, creation. So let's start in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that it is seen and not made out of things that are visible. So we see here that the New Testament tells us that we have faith that God has done this. Let's read that account in Genesis 1. It's a bit of a lengthy reading. I told you I'd make up for the lack of scriptures in the start. 
But I, I think it's important to take the time to read this, to look at it. As David brought up in his lesson this morning about uh, the Red Sea, this is a, an important story that's told over and over again because it is significant, but sometimes it's lost its meaning. So let's try to look at this with new eyes to uh, understand how powerful this is, that God spoke everything into existence. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And, and, uh, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated it from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning. The first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse separate the waters from the waters under the expanse, and the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters Under the heavens, gather together into one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the water that were gathered together he called seas. And he saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds and fruit-bearing trees, which have seeds of their own kind each according to their own kind. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds, and the trees bearing fruit in which their seed was according to its own kind. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let the lights in the expanse of the heavens separate the day from the night, and let them be signs. Uh, Let them be signs... For the lesser light and the the greater to rule the day. Excuse me. Let them, excuse me, I have lost my place. (laughs) And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God said to the, and God said, made the two great lights, the greater to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule the day and over the night, and to separate the light and the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great creatures, great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, According to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 
And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed this is, that is on the face of the earth and every tree with, with its fruit. And you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has the breath of life will use, I have given green plants for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because, he re- because he, God rested from the work he had done in creation. So here we see a very different picture. We see God is the start. God spoke into existence, light, dark, water, the earth, the plants, the sun, moon, and stars, marine life, birds, everything on the land, and especially us, created in the image of God. So, we see from the evidence brought out earlier that God has left his handiwork everywhere. The heavens declare the glory of God. The stars are his handiwork. But for me, I struggled at a point where I'm a scientific mind. I think of everything and what I can see and what I can observe. So I struggle to, at times, to get my head around creation. Evidence got me far enough that I don't believe evolution is possible. But at some point, it's got to be past that. Faith has, has to take up where evidence falls and become our point for belief. So that's why I read Hebrews 11, discussing the, the importance of faith. Because by faith, we believe that God created the earth. So why does this all matter? What is the importance of any of this? I didn't want to waste your time. I wanted to give you tools to be able to use. It's not often brought up in certain areas, but in the South even it's changing. That evolution is everywhere in science, but even in the world, people are believing it. A recent study said 67% of adults believed that everything came from evolution, and the rest said another source. That's not even saying God. It's just saying not evolution. So it's a threat we all face, but if we have tools to equip it 
and our faith to rely on, it'll be good. We will find a way. So, by way of invitation tonight, I originally wasn't going to, <laughs> but the more I studied this, the, the easier it became to uh, have, a, have a bit of irony when it comes to the, the invitation. You turn to Romans 12. Starting in, or just verse uh, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. So we see here that we're not supposed to just fit in and go with the flow. We're supposed to be very different, to look different. Turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 7, I believe. 17. 5, 17, I apologize. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or creature. The old one has passed away. Behold, the new one has come. So, As people of God, we're called to evolve. We're called to be a very, it's a very different kind of evolution. We are called to look at what we were, bury it, forget it existed, and to be a new creature. Now, evolution is hard in uh, in the biological sense, but this one's a little harder in some cases. It's easy steps to start on that path, but it's hard to maintain sometimes. So as Christians, we're here to help each other evolve together to be children of God. So I hope you found some useful information in this. And during all this, uh, have, a, have a new sense of God's creation, his power and his, his love for us, that he was able to make all of this by speaking, to speak us into existence, but Make us in the likeness of God. So, if you have any, any questions that you want to talk about, uh, discussing any of this, we ask that you, you come forward. And if you have any questions about becoming this new creature that was discussed about, we'd be happy to talk with you. If you know, please come forward. But if you don't, please talk to us. We're here, and we love to talk about this stuff. So if we can help you at all, please come forward as we stand and sing.